Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. Welcome to Centerpoint. We're glad you're here. We're getting ready to dive into a new series, What Would Jesus Undo, right? It feels like, though, it's, it's not the beginning of fall. It feels like it's the beginning of spring with all the tsunami of rain outside. We're so excited you took the opportunity to come out and hang out with us this morning, even in the midst of uh, some amazing weather that we're having here in Kentucky. Uh, so, but if, if you grew, grew up in church, if you grew up in church, you probably know this, uh, this idea of, of what would, what, Jesus, come on, come on, church, what would Jesus, yeah, do, that's right. And the crazy thing is, back in the 1990s, uh, this movement took place like crazy. You know, what would Jesus do, right? You saw the bracelets, you saw the t-shirts, you saw the bumper stickers, coffee mugs, Probably even some people might have got a tattoo. I don't know. Uh, they're not very popular back in the day, but I'm sure it was growing on them. But it was, it was interesting that everybody just, this is what they did, right? Uh, this, but this idea, if, if, if you bought into it, if you really went down this road and you grabbed a T-shirt or a bracelet, like, did anybody have a bracelet, by the way? Come on, anybody? Yeah, see, some of you did. That's right, yeah. You probably still got yours. You're just too ashamed to admit it. Uh, but it's those moments. Uh, but, we, you know, we always had one of those little those, those T-shirts, those bumper stickers or whatever. And if somebody was to cut you off, you're heading down the bypass, right? Somebody was to cut you off uh, and just run you off the road uh, before you give them the Lincoln County howdy. All right, so some of you know what that means. But, you know, it could be the Casey County one, but those are even more violent. But, you know, those, those, those road rage moments that take place, uh, you would remember, wait a minute, I'm wearing my WWJD bracelet, so I can't say hello like that. I got to say hello like this, right? And I'm wearing my bracelet. I'm wearing my shirt. I'm wearing the bumper sticker. What would Jesus do? So I just need to forgive them because and, and, Jesus would do that, right? I mean, that's, that's what that represents in its essence. And, and maybe it was a shirt for you, or maybe it was a bumper sticker. Maybe you still have that coffee mug, or whatever it is. But if you remember it, and you remember it well, here's how we got there, right? Here's how we got there. For those who love history, here's a little small history lesson for you this morning. A hundred years ago, before that movement that took place, it, 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 1896, man, 1896, there was a there was a pastor by the, by the name of Charles Sheldon uh, in Kansas who wrote a book called In His Steps. And he talked about Jesus and following in his footsteps. Believe it or not, the, this little book went over to sell over 30 million copies. And in the book, the pastor essentially talked about living in a small town environment and, and where people would be, be faced with real life situations and would ask themselves this question before they respond in the current situation. And the question was, what would, oh, that was horribly weak, guys. I set you up. I set you up. Come on. What would? There you go. I know, crazy. I know, right? They, they had this way back in the day. But if, if Charles only knew what he would start in my teen years, because everybody used this word, what would Jesus do, and all the crazy t-shirts and everything else in my life, I, I don't think he even envisioned where this thing would go. But the truth is, what would Jesus do? Well, this whole series that we're getting ready to dive into today, if, it's going to invert the question. It's going to flip the question upside down. And now consider asking it this, this way, what would Jesus actually undo, right? 
Now, I really want to go down this road of, of, of possibly even considering this question, because no one ever asked this question, but, you know, Jesus had a brother, his name was John, or excuse me, James, and, and I thought it would be interesting to, what would James ever do? You know, you ever thought about that one? I mean, what would James do? You know, James is always getting secondhand nature on what Jesus was doing. I, I think this way, you know, sometimes Mary uh, would throw James a bone sitting at the dinner table and like in, G, in James's name, you know, at the end of the prayer instead of Jesus' name. It's just the moments of when James is always frustrated. So I'm just like, I want to follow James some days because I know, I know the feeling belling up because it's hard to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Anybody? It's hard. It's challenging. It's, it's, it's difficult. But instead of going that direction, why don't we invert this question and just ask this one for this morning and the next three or four weeks here. Is, is what, would, what would Jesus undo? What would Jesus undo? You know, if, if we really investigate it, for those who grew up in the church, the reading the Bible and applying, applying what it says into your spiritual life, and as we lean into those red words there that are so, we, we, we value those red words, right? Those words from Jesus that challenge us and, and make us desire to do more. If we're going to make a difference in our faith today, I think it would be wise to know what broke his heart. What bothered him the most, right? What created tension in his life when he saw it or witnessed it in the streets where he walked, lived, and worked and played? And I know there are some things that, that are coming to your mind even as I say this, that what would he undo, right? What would he undo today? Think about it. Now, I'm just going to throw out some things, but maybe, hopefully, he would undo Facebook. I'm just being honest. Come on. Somebody say amen. Right? All right. Just checking. But, you know, you know, cell phones. Parents, come on. Anybody? Yeah? Cell phones? Um, maybe. What, what about this one? Why don't we just turn the corner? What, what if Jesus would come undo this one? Religion. I mean, it would change the dynamics of a lot of things, wouldn't it? I think, you, I think honestly, if, I, if I'm just being honest and truthful this morning, completely transparent, I think he would undo the nominations real quickly. You know, I think he would just go after it and chase after it and like, you know, I didn't come for this. I came, I came to be the light, not for you guys to separate it. I just, I just feel that way. And I think he would undo a lot of things. And I'm sure there's more, but... For the next four weeks here, we're going to talk about four different things. And next week, we're going to talk about something that I hope you will come back and engage and ultimately, hopefully, change what you care about. Because we're going to talk about what it means to have hollow worship. I mean, sometimes we sing songs and we just go through the motion. Sometimes we even lift our hands and sing the words because they're just up on the screen, but we have no idea what we're saying. We have no idea how deep this, this word or this lyric or this rhythm is. And so next week, we're going to jump into that idea of what hollow worship is and, and what Jesus really considers to what worship really looks like. I mean, I'm serious. You don't want to miss this because I promise you, I, I, I think you'll be amazed. And it could just change everything in your perspective or the, your church culture that you grew up in. And, but for today, it, it, let me ask this, this way. Have you ever been given a gift? A gift that, you know, you just never use, but, but the value of the gift is possibly huge, right? And I, I'm not just thinking of gift cards. Anybody lose gift cards a couple of times? I've, I've lost my fair share of them. But, you know, it's that birthday gift that, you know, possibly you maybe have never used, or maybe the Christmas present that possibly even got re-gifted, you know. Uh, but I'm, I'm really thinking of something that's really special that costs somebody greatly on your behalf, 
but you just never saw the value in it and you never used it. You got that, got that item yet? Maybe it just sits in your house over in the corner. It just collects dust. Maybe it's honestly, it could be even in a safe because you just don't want to use it. Or, or, or better yet, you even sold it at the pawn shop or on, 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 on online. What did you think, though? What, what do you think? What do you think God feels like when he sent his son, left heaven, come to earth, sacrificed everything for us. He was tortured, shed blood, eventually died and even beat up during his death, right? However, in the end, we know the rest of the story, praise the Lord, right? Up from the grave, he rose, gave us all some tools to use to fight our daily battles with. He even kicked the devil, told the devil where to go, and give you the power to do the same thing. But you never use it. All authority in heaven given to me, I now give to you. But we don't ever use it. We set on it. We come to churches, synagogues, everything else around the world. We come to places of locations to worship. I guarantee it, around the world, there's millions of people coming together. Yet some of us haven't even begun to move or receive. We've just done it over time, and it's become tradition. It's become a religion. It's become who you are, your DNA of what you do. Think about it this way. Jesus gave us his living word, access to the very throne of God through prayer. He changed us with a spiritual mission and a purpose. He gave us the same power that raised him from the dead. And we can go day in and day out not even thinking about him or the gift that he gave us. He gave you life. What would Jesus undo? The first thing I think he would target literally is us. In the series, that I want to jump into it this way and just really, I think what he would completely undo, I think we're going to call it this way, is, is spiritual indifference. Spiritual indifference. I don't know if you knew this, but, but God actually encouraged this man named John who walked with Jesus to record and write seven different letters in the Bible. And these letters are, are really powerful letters to, to the seven different types of churches in the end. And these letters are recorded in the book of Revelation. And he wrote to one particular church that kind of was like all about the me generation. Sort of sounds like us, right? In the current culture. When it came to spiritual ideas, of course, though, the church was actually founded in Laodicea. And, and this was a pretty powerful little community, if we're honest. You see, Leia Odyssey had been destroyed by a huge earthquake about 35 years prior to this letter. And since they had, had rebuilt, they rebuilt it strong, and they were a mighty, mighty city. And there were stadiums, there were theaters. I mean, there were everything that you could ever want and desire. I mean, they, they, they were lavished. Public bathrooms and shopping malls. Literally, think of this. Think of like they built something out of nothing, almost like Dubai, right? Over there, overseas, okay? Or you can think of it this way. In the middle of a desert, somebody decided, oh, let's put Las Vegas. There you go. Now everybody goes to Las Vegas, right? This was like the place to be. The problem with this community, though, was this. They had an inadequate uh, water supply. 
which, which you can imagine the trouble that would cause. And so they, they built this elaborate aqueducts to bring in waters from two different locations, one over here and one over here. And one of them was located, it was known for its fresh cold water. And the other one, you know, it was just soothing and refreshing. And the other one was known for its hot springs. And it was, it was amazing. And it was just always refreshing to be around. And you can almost think about like hot baths in those springs, even out west. And they would pipe in these waters from these two locations. The problem is by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was no longer it was no longer cold, and it was no longer hot. Now it was dirty, and it was actually lukewarm. It was, it was lukewarm at best. You see, God used John to, to write to this community and use language that would, that would make sense to them. And it was a problem of spiritual indifference, and he used words to really highlight what he was saying through the issue that would, they would have understood just like in the context of Revelation 3, 15 through 16. It says this. It says in verse 15, it says, I know your deeds. Basically, I know where you're at. That you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So what is he saying here? What's this mean? I know that you're, how you're living. I know what you're doing day to day. In other words, I know what you did this past week. And if you look at your life we'll, we're, where you're full of spiritual passion, where you full of, of energy that, that comes from the kingdom of God, was you going out and doing things that mattered? Or were you more spiritual and different? Were you more spiritual focused on you? Jesus says to them, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. And I wish you were one of them. Both serve a purpose, but you're not, he says. So because you're lukewarm, like the water that gets to you where you are, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What is he saying here? What is John saying? That you're spiritual stale. That you're, that you're spiritual indifferent. You're, you're, you're depressingly detached from what God is trying to do through you. And after what Jesus did for you, what he called you out to do, what he was empowering you to do, you don't even seem to care. And here's what I want you to, to notice what he said is, is that I'm about to spit you out. I'm about to spit you out. The literal translation of this is to vomit you, to vomit you out. That means what it means, y'all. God is saying you're spiritually indifferent and it doesn't just break my heart, it turns the inward of my stomach. After what I did through Jesus, the fact that you don't seem to care, it makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. And I just think, I just think Jesus would want the spiritual indifference where we work, live, and play undone. I think he would. Because it's got to start with us. And so today we start with us. And I feel like most church people go through life with, with all the right motions. Come on, church. You know what I'm talking about. If you've been in church more than a couple years, you know what I'm talking about. And especially if you grew up in the church, maybe you talk about that one Jesus moment you had as a seven-year-old, but you haven't had an encounter since then. 
There's something wrong with that. You talk about the church more than you talk about Jesus. There's something wrong about that. I feel like most church people go through life with all the right things to say and only lean into God when it's, when it's the fourth quarter or it's crunch time. I think it breaks the heart of God. You see, I think there's two causes of spiritual indifference in our lives where we are in our part of the world that causes us to, to be this way, to causes us to be self-sufficiency. I think that's one of them, self-sufficiency. In Revelation 3, 17, as it goes on to say, it says, you say I'm rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need anything and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You don't realize, you don't realize how far off you really are. In other words, I'm good. I've got my Starbucks coffee this morning. I got my iPhone 15, whatever's out right now. I don't know. I mean, I got my Amazon Prime last night. Cats won. Woohoo, streaks over. You know, I'm home pushing buttons and I'm enjoying life. I can control my garage door from the car. I got my pool coming next year. I've got my money saved up. I got the garage full of all kinds of goodies that I don't even need. I even got Netflix and Voodoo and Hulu. I mean, what else is going to come up with, you know? I mean, next one's going to be hopscotch. Don't market that one. That's mine, by the way. So, I mean, you think about it. I've got it, God. I'm all good. I'm good. And he's like, no, you're missing it. But no, 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 you don't understand. I go to a cool church. It's the church that sucks less. They mean the loft, you know? He's like, you don't even get it. It's making him vomit. It's making his stomach uneasy. You see, you have worldly wealth. However, you are spiritually bankrupt. There's no fruit I mean, I've said it this way for many years because I think some of my people that poured life into me allowed me to see this, but if you've never made a disciple, can you even call yourself a Christian? Jesus said, hey, this is what it looks like to be a Christian, a follower of me, to make what? And if it's all about you, how are you doing that? I mean, it's something to consider. It's something to evaluate. It's something to look inwardly and say, wait a minute, something's missing. It's not about me. Hey, they sung my favorite song this morning. Oh, reckless love. I love it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not about that. That's the byproduct of following Jesus. You get to gather with people who, who want to make a difference, who desire to do life together, who choose to live life this way, to go out and make disciples who make disciples and influence the world around them. You see, lives are full of stuff, but you're empty of all the meaning and your suffering on the inside. Guys, I've seen people even this week that are just bankrupt. They've got everything they need. I've had conversations that just are, are heartbreaking, that their marriages don't even know where to turn because they've They've just done church their entire life, but they've never leaned into the one who can save them. 
The second cause of spiritual indifference in our lives, especially where we live, is, is I think is this, is, is distractions of this world. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it says in Hebrews, it says, I am the author and perfecter of the voice. Fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. A couple of weeks ago, we went whitewater rafting, and I would highly recommend do not get in the raft with a couple people. Not saying who they are, but they're on the stage. Just, just, just don't get in the raft with them. They will knock you out. But the whole objective, the whole objective in some of those things is, is to go straight. You know, paddle forward. Listen to the person in the back. Don't listen to the person beside you. If you're not acting as one, you're going to end up upside down, floating down the river. Screaming, help me, Jesus. All right? Just saying that did happen to me. But what I noticed was this. You know, we went through the Olympic course. And by the way, I wouldn't recommend that for most people. We're not Olympics. Olympians, yeah, we're not. I am from Bull County, so I can make up that word as I go along. So, you know, we're, we're, not, you know, we're not professionals. And he's like, go this way, turn this way. We're supposed to be listening to him, going this way, turning this way, going straight down the river. And we saw all these thousands of people standing on the shore. And we're like, hey, ah, taking our eyes off with the goal, man. And next thing you know, boom. Not saying who jumped out on that one, but it wasn't me. I listened. It was the next one that I didn't listen. And it's all fun and games until someone gets killed. Doesn't make it. Down the river. Just like in life. It's all fun and games, going to church and just having fun until you see that person who dies not knowing Jesus. Because we took our eyes off of what's important. We just went down the road of doing life because we got distracted by the world. We took our eyes off of Jesus. We started to live for ourselves. In the Gospel of Mark 4, 19, it says, but the worries of this life, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and, and choke the word, making it unfruitful. How many of you worry about the bills that you got to pay this week? Places to be, people to meet, selfies to take. How many folks, Facebook posts, Twitter, Instagram? Dishes in the sink? Laundry backing up? Kids to practice, kids to school, all change light on, PTA, gym, homework, getting that job, maybe meeting that guy. Then we turn on Facebook and begin to align ourselves with the things of this world. Save the unborn. Save the whales. Stop using straws. We, we, start to, we start to gravitate to things that just doesn't even make any sense anymore. Mark would say we begin to get overwhelmed and choke ourselves out, and we cannot, I'm going to use the word, we cannot flourish. There it was. Those who were here last week, you know. We're no longer flourishing. We're no longer flourishing. We can't even produce fruit at all. And in the end, it's indifferent. It's just spiritual spiritually indifference in our lives. Most people in our area live with a little bit of Jesus, just enough to make them feel better, but not so much to make a difference. I don't know if you caught that. 
but they live just enough to make them feel better with Air One or K-Love on the way or Spotify or whatever you listen to to go to work. Maybe the WWJD coffee mug just to get your cup of joe in. But not enough so much to make a difference in your day. How can we say something like that? Think about it. It's, it's living with lukewarm indifference. It's living in a, in a culture of where that you are able to create what you stare at. It, it's, it's indifferent of what you are literally surrounding yourself with. Well, see, here's what I thought we could at least tackle for the next couple of minutes. Here's some ideas, and maybe this strikes a nerve for you this morning. You see, I think we're more concerned with impressing people than living for God. I think that. That we're more about impressing who we're around than we are living for God. Timothy said it this way, we can become lovers of a self, lovers of us, and not for Jesus. And he says, woe to you when, when all you people speak well of yourself. If we're so concerned with what people think about us, we can never, ever be living completely for the God who loves us. Think about it. New shoes, new car, That got to have that, got to have this. I've seen people literally sell themselves out just to get a glimpse at a rock concert and take that selfie and say, oh, I was standing in the shadows. It breaks God's heart. He wants to vomit you out of his mouth when you talk more about that person or that thing than you do about God. Another thing, if you're taking notes, I think we're obsessed with life on earth rather than life in eternity. I hear more people talk about what they do next week and what they're going to do tomorrow than they what eternity is going to look like. I mean, if you really think about it, what I have over, what I have over, what I'm, what I'm called to do, Scripture says it this way, is if you love the world, you, if you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. If, you. if you truly just talk about everything that's happening today and next week and, and never talk about what God is, is doing and he's going to do when, and you get to see him in, in, in heaven, it's just, it's, you're in love with this world. It's an earthly pleasure moment. And I think there's a lot of people that, that mistakenly put more stock into this season into the, into the next season. Because if you were serious about it, you'd be sharing a lot about your faith to those around you because you would want to see them go with you. Another one I think we rationalize, and this one's going to sting a little bit, but it's true. I think we rationalize sin and live without truly fearing God. We say things like, it's not so bad. It's not as bad as that other person. This this is not that bad. I'm not hurting anyone. Or everybody gossips. Only only looking at porn here, it's not that big of a deal. It's just sex. Everyone does it in our culture. I'm telling you, when we start to rationalize sin, we're not really truly living, fearing the God who spoke the universe out of his mouth. We've we've made up this false, indifferent culture in our walk. I think another one is this one. We believe in Jesus, 
but we rarely share our faith. We, we do. We'll, we'll, we'll wear the bracelet, buy the T-shirt, run out, but we never talk about it. You see, Jesus said, if you confess me, but if you don't let your light shine, you're hiding it for all to see. You see, we struggle to let the light shine because of what will people say. A couple of weeks ago, we were in a leadership meeting, and one of the people said, they just spoke up, and I was just, wow, that's it. It's to not really care what other people say about my faith. It's just to go all in and and just run this race wide open, chasing after Jesus in a way that radically redefines me. Because when they get me right, man, everybody else, we can start to work on we. Another one was this. You see, we only turn to God when we need him. We only turn to God when we need him. And I guarantee it in this room of this size, I know there's somebody that this one strikes a chord with. Rather than seeking him daily, we seek him when he benefits us. He's our tool that we pull out of our pocket. It's like a Swiss army knife, right? We need this tool for this day. We need this one for this day. He's a tool we use when we need him, not a God I fear and worship in the love with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind, and I use him in every moment of every single day. I think people struggle with that one. And another one is this one. We're not... We're not much different from the rest of the world if we're really truthful. We are indifferent. We watch the same movies. We enjoy some of the same music that refers to women as bitch. We say words that don't make sense. We, we, we use words in, in God's name. We, we, we use them all the time in our daily walks and people just sort of blend in to the culture. And I know that it it offends the heart of God. You see, we enjoy the same music, the same morals, and before long, we raise kids the same way, to love and chase after money. I think it's interesting that the divorce rate for Christians is the same as unchrist followers. It really is. It's it's slid a little bit, but not much. I, I, I have trouble with that. You stick with it. When you stand before God and others, you stick with it. And I know maybe you have been divorced and I'm not picking on you, but I'm I'm just, you stick with it. You put God at the center and you watch what happens. I promise you, it will reconcile anything. Yet we don't want to go through the battle. So we just say, let's call it a day. We're not much different in our spiritual walks. You see, spiritual indifference is a huge in our lives when people are searching for God. There's people everywhere searching for God. Is he real? Does he love me? Can I feel his presence? You see, indifference doesn't just break Jesus' heart. It makes him want to vomit. I know it because I've seen it even in my friends' lives. And if you think for any pastor, we would, we would love to think if our church didn't exist, right? This would not happen, right? This culture, this, this environment. Like if our church didn't exist, we, this right here wouldn't go on over there. Those people would never have that need met or, or, or be loved with love loud now. And here's what I know in the culture that we live in. We, we actually live in a pretty healthy culture. 
We do. Eventually, somebody's gonna feel some compassion and they're gonna love on some animals. They're gonna go feed them. They're gonna go feed some neighbors. They're, they're, they're gonna do that. But see, Jesus was so much more. He was about bringing a vibrant community together that, that literally impacted him with love, that changed the lives forever. And the reason why is we have, we have fallen is, is simply because we've fallen in this, this idea of spiritual indifference. In the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, we see John testifying about Jesus and who he is and, and the word. And those who were following John because of, 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 of Jesus' disciples, they all began to start following Jesus in a way that radically changed their lives. And then at the end of the chapter, we see two characters arise, and one name is Philip, and the other name is Nathaniel. And Jesus finds Philip, and he simply asks him to follow him in verse 43, and he did it because of who Jesus was and who he said he was and because of all the prophets and the law, and everybody you know, proclaimed him. And he's like, yes, I found the Messiah. I found him, man, I found him. This is awesome. He's changed my life. This is amazing. And so he immediately bolts and he goes out to tell Nathaniel. And Nathaniel pushes back. He starts to be kind of sarcastic. But Philip could have had a spiritual indifferent moment there. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. It's pretty accurate. You know, that's okay. But he didn't. You know why? Because he knew who Jesus was and said he was, and is, and said he is, and who he's going to be to come. He said, you got to be a part of this, man. You don't want to miss out on this. This is going to be amazing. He simply said, you got to come and see. He said, Nathaniel, you got to come and see this. This is amazing. And in verse 46, in John chapter 1, verse 47, this is what it says. It says, when Jesus, or when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching him, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He's making a commentary because earlier Nathaniel said, does anything good come from Nazareth? And so they're going back and forth. They're playing some sarcastic moments here, and I love it. It just shows you that Jesus can be sarcastic, and I, I think that's cool because some days, you know. Um, anyways, how, I could say, what would Jesus do? He did it. Anyways, um, how do you know me? Verse 48, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked, he says, Jesus answered, I saw you, here it is, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, I don't know if you catch that and if it makes much sense to you, but here's a guy searching for God, not in a church, under a fig tree, out in the middle of where we work, where we live, where we play, and even before Philip said, you got to come and see, you got to come and see the Messiah. And then verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that, I'm telling you. He then added, very truly, I tell you, will, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on you, the son of man. You see, there's people out there left and right just waiting to see if what we believe in and what we say is true. I tell you this story because I want you to be a spiritual difference maker. Like 1 Peter calls you to be at this moment as a Christ follower, you are the called out ones. And we want you to do something every day that requires your faith to go from here to there, not just sit in here. 
to be bold, to take risks, you dare not take risk alone. And watch the heavens open up on people far from God where you work, live, and play. There are people out there standing under fig trees wherever in our community, waiting for an invitation just to come and see. And all you have to do is to tell them your story about, not church, not what was played this week, but about Jesus. And when, when that moment happened of life change and then changed lives happen. You see, most people I feel are afraid you may hurt them. Or the popular word is, in our culture, offended them, right? You, you offended me with Jesus. I think that's Satan's law. That most believe it's, it's easier not to care about your faith and better, you know, not get involved with this situation. Here's what I would say, and I would, I would push you this morning. I'd push you, push you back. And it's this, it's better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. It's better to, to push in and lean about what you believe in and what your values are than, than to exist without one. You see, your purpose in life, if you're a Christ follower this morning, is to not be spiritually indifferent or to be lukewarm. You are called to be a difference maker and to let your light shine in a way that changes lives. You see, the purpose for us as a, as a church, as we exist, is to see changed lives. Say it with me. That change lives. You see, we want to see changed lives, yours, that go out and change lives. And some of you may have noticed on the way in, and maybe you're new with this, and maybe or you've been here for a while and you've never really paid much attention, but these light bulbs out in the orange room are so much more than just illuminating factors. If you recall, if you've been with this for a couple of years, those, that room was actually dark at one time. There was no light bulbs in it. And eventually we just said, you know what, we're just gonna allow this to be an amazing moment of, of what God can do. And we began to pray over, over those strings of light bulbs out there in that room. And what took place over the next couple of years was simply something only God can get the credit for because he took your stories, he took your spiritual moment with God and then he began to use it to change and impact the lives of others and to go out and to start to multiply it and to start to multiply it and to start to multiply it. And every time we see someone come to know Christ, they're allowed to go out there and literally illuminate the light in a way that becomes a spiritual difference maker. You see, in Matthew 5, 16, it says this. In Matthew 5, 16, it says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? Not you, but your Father in heaven. My prayer this morning as we sort of wrap up is this. I don't know how often we get into this habit or this this, this, this season of being spiritually indifferent. But I know what happens because we get into a spiritual dip. But I'm gonna challenge you. This is a new season. This is a new fall. This is an opportunity for you to be a difference maker and to let your light shine in a way that radically changes the lives of others around you. But you have to make a decision. You have to choose to do something about it. You can no longer just sit idle but you've got to be a part of being a vibrant piece of being a difference maker. 
I think one of the things that Jesus would come to undo is, is, is literally starts with you, just being spiritually indifferent. He would sit with you and just to show you how real he really is. He would allow you, especially if you're a Christ follower, some of you are like, you know, my light bulb is kind of dim today. It, 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 matter of fact, it's not even glowing, God, because you, you promised this, but it didn't happen. And I'm sort of just burned out. You see, I think he would come in today and sit right there beside you and he would just touch it. And it would start to just... And all of a sudden, your faith inside you would just blow up because he would just only think... The only way this happens is because of God. The love he has for you. And the next thing you know, it's just going to go crazy. It's going to start to illuminate in ways that just radically change the environments. You know, think something about, about light. Is it, it literally casts through the darkness. And if you look around you where you work, where you live, where you play, do you know? I believe that there's probably some dark areas in those things. And you are called to go out and light it up in ways that could change people's lives. But sometimes we just get so bogged down with ourselves. And you can't even see it no more. Spiritually indifferent. You got the t-shirt. You got the bracelet. I go to church on Sundays. And in my world, we'll tweet about it. We'll post about it social media wise. What a great sermon. What a great song. Here's my verse for the day. But when it comes to that one thing, that one hard thing of walking across the room and asking for forgiveness, even though you know you're supposed to do it, or walking across the street and loving your neighbor in a way that radically redefines light, or maybe it's literally loving your son and your daughter this week that, that can produce light in ways that can change everything. Because the only thing they want is time with you. Or maybe it's to surrender that one little small thing that's, that's keeping you from taking that big, huge step. That one sin that you just have continued to justify over and over again. And maybe it's just to say, you know what, I've, I've played the game for years and I've been spiritually indifferent because I just, it's been religion to me and I, I don't even have a personal connection. I want to see my light bulb light up. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. He would come today to be about this. He would undo spiritual, spiritually indifferent people, which is us. Those who claim to be Christ followers come tomorrow you can't even see it in my bible i carry a little piece of paper that i put in there when i was in 1995 to be honest with you my freshman year in college and i put it in there and it basically says this i wanted to to, to be constantly in the word a but also i wanted people to know what i represented on the campus that i attended and it says this when you Tell somebody that you're a Christian. Don't let that surprise them. Thus, 
my vocation began and I didn't even know it. I started to lean into that and I started to surround myself with other light bulbs and it changed my life. And it allowed me to go in places that I never would dream or dare possible without my light. And if you remember that little song, maybe if you grew up in church, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Not gonna hide it under a bushel, but I'm gonna let it shine. This week, I pray that you let your light shine in ways that radically redefines everything. And you be the difference maker that God has called you out to be. Jesus, I pray for us this morning as we dive into your word, as we just unpack some of this. This is not meant to sit here. This is meant to literally go around coffee tables and, 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 and dinner tables and, and literally in home devotions and everywhere else. Father, I, I trust your word is living and active and it's trying to do something in us. God, we're not supposed to just come and just sit, but we're supposed to go be the church because there's people literally standing under fig trees waiting to hear that the atmosphere has changed. But the question is, has it? in us may we all be Philip and just keep on going and saying you gotta come and see you just gotta come and see and share the, the beauty of what, who Jesus is may we be the church in a way that radically redefines our community and may it start with us of getting rid of things that's holding us back that's weighing us down may we have marriages that are full of life and full of light that just people draw in and say, what is different about your marriage? What is going on inside of it? When a man and a woman get down on their knees together and they just pray and they invite others to come alongside that, God, I pray for these marriages in front of me because I know some of them are hurting. I pray for men to be bold, to lead their families in a way they can change the lives of their children and they protect them from the enemy that wants to just come and steal, kill, and destroy them. God, may you just raise up a generation of men who desire nothing more to be a difference maker. God, may you just use this church in a way that can change the atmosphere that where we call home, where we work, live, and play. And may we just let our light shine continuously until we get to eternity just to see what real light looks like. God, I thank you for this moment. May we bask in it. May we surrender to it. And may we change what we care about to go be the difference maker. 